Looking for a way to keep your kids or grandkids entertained? Just tell your smart speaker to play Vision Kids Radio. Vision Kids! Problem solved. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. We're going to take some time to talk about what's going on in church and the role you may have to play, even if you don't think of yourself as a leader. You may have noticed that your local church needs leaders. And whether it's in the children's church ministry or youth, families, small groups, seniors or pastoral care, there's never enough leaders. And either you are in one of those roles or you may be thinking about how you can step up and get involved filling some gaps. So what do you need to know? And is what you might learn in theory about leading at church the same as what actually happens in real life? Well, our special guest today is Dr. Don Hardgrave, who spent 50 years serving in local church life at every level. He's been pastor, he's been church planter, he's been denominational leader and educator. He's written a dozen books and he specialises in revitalising congregations. He's launched more than 30 new churches in Australia. His ministry is called the Cypress Project. And Dr Don Hardgrave, a special welcome along to 2020. Thank you for the welcome. In fact, I should clarify, Cypress is my publisher and uh, they've done a marvellous job for which I'm very grateful. Okay, and I mentioned uh, you'd written a dozen books and for listeners, uh, going to the Cypress Project site, they'll be able to see those books uh, even as we're having this conversation today. Hey Don, 50 years in ministry, that's a long time. Um, Give us an insight here into how that all has evolved. (laughs) <laughs> developed. Okay. Um, I was a school teacher after high school. I went into Teachers College in Queensland and uh, then went on to four years of school teaching, two and a half in primaries and then 18 months in high school, and then went to Melbourne Bible Institute and did training and then on to, I ended up with five years of full time study and um, yeah, and then the good Lord opened the door for me to move from the Methodist Church of that day into the Wesleyan Methodists, and there I served until 2000, and then doors opened for me to do interims with uh, a Nazarene congregation, seven Baptist churches, a Presbyterian church, just kind of where God has put me, and I've also travelled for creation ministry, so it's been a very diverse journey, and God has proven himself wonderfully faithful. Would you call yourself a creation speaker as well? I did the training program for that because I'm, I'll share this comment early on in this interview. One of the things that distresses me very seriously is suicide amongst, well, anybody, but especially amongst our youth. And I am quite convinced that if our youth could get hold of the awareness that God has a plan for their lives, that he's there, that he made them, and that he gifted them to fit with that plan, I believe that tragedy would be minimized. So I see it as vital. So what you're saying here is your role in the local church is part of the solution to some of the challenges that are being faced right now, even as our young people face some significant mental health issues and that sometimes that leads to suicide and the local church has a role to play. So if you're wondering about, if you're wondering about how important it is to have a functioning local church, 
Uh, it really is absolutely an imperative. Uh, you served yeah. even as National Superintendent for the Wesleyan Methodist Church. I mentioned you'd been involved in the launch and relaunch of as many as 30 churches. Yeah. Uh, you call that, Don, church repotting. That's right. Well, some of them are. I should just clarify, by the way, you were generous in regards to the number of publications. There are four major ones and then a number that I put together to meet pastoral needs. But the ones that are on the uh, website for Vision Radio, there are four there. So I just didn't want to leave the wrong impression there. Okay. All right. So come back to repotting churches. What's the focus there? Oh, basically, well, I, when I do training programs in how to preach, I basically tell the young uh, students, love God, love the Word, learn how to communicate meaningfully, and be sure you love people. And when I am invited to work with a group, whether it's a personal contact, you know anybody else who'd be interested, then what I'll focus on then is building into their lives, um, just encouraging them in their journey, um, particularly working through issues like forgiveness. So it's really a ministry, uh, repotting in the sense that some churches are in serious trouble and to try and work out what are the issues that they're facing and help them to rebuild. Um, it's been pretty encouraging. Nearly all of them have doubled during the time that I've served. So God has been very, very faithful. You know, we'll often take time to talk to leaders who are doing well in church and things are going strongly, things are growing, the numbers are good and there's some, you know, steps forward and there's influence in their communities. Uh, In some sense here, when you're talking about repotting churches because churches are not necessarily doing well, it's a little opportunity here just to reflect, isn't it, that not every church is doing well, not every church has a a great and growing number of leaders who are stepping up, and there are challenges in lots of smaller churches. Sure. Well, I had the privilege of doing a full science major during my high school years and thoroughly enjoyed it, but I just found increasingly that I was enjoying stories, and so I swung over and majored in history. And when I was dipping into a book this morning looking on the history of the Christian church in Australia, or and the history of the Australian nation, how in the world we went from a bunch of convicts and their unwilling marine guards from the British to uh, a nation that is the envy of the world. A major part of that were the spiritual awakenings uh, that took place over the years. And you're reflecting on spiritual awakenings that go back right into the 18th century. Uh, John oh, Wesley, yeah. you're a, you're a fan correct. of John Wesley and his influence even on early Australian colonial life. Absolutely, yes, quite profoundly so. And the thing was, he wasn't probably the best of the Methodist preachers. I think Whitfield probably was a distance ahead, but he was a brilliant organiser, and he organised small groups that helped people to be accountable in their journey. And so they had friends praying for them and encouraging them and asking hard questions, and all of that was a part of um, feeling you had some friends when things were going, doing it tough, you know? So that was part of the genius of Methodism and the emphasis on a godly life. That was very important. How does that translate into the sort of work you do, repotting churches? And in some sense, you might even say here, rescuing churches, uh, just coming off that plateau and going on to a new level or... You know, the, re- the reflection there on John Wesley being an amazing organiser. I mean, yes, do, yes. is there room for more organisers in a leadership role within our local church? 
I didn't realise you had such an active sense of humour. Um, <laughs> some churches have got too many organisers. Right. Um, I think probably, bottom line, I would be focusing on a discipling thrust. That's what one of the things I mentioned the book to you earlier about you can make a, an impact. One of the things I did in the last chapter of that was I set out a definition of what a disciple is so that we can be working on the areas that are fat spots. Um, when I started school teaching, I inherited 46 kids uh, in grade five, and my predecessor loved maths and hated English. So the first thing I realized was I had to keep their maths alive and well, but I also had to lift punctuation, spelling, and so forth, and also other subjects they were doing. But what I realized was that the same applies in our Christian journey. There are different areas that we have to strengthen. And, um, you know, I guess basically in ministry, as I watched the churches God had used, they were mainly plans. But what God used me to do really was to help the, the people in those groups to identify their area of strength and then say, what are the areas that need to be uh, given attention? So that we basically were helping people, you know, strengthen their discipleship. And every one of those churches, no doubt, has differences because the people oh, yeah. who are involved have different strengths and different weaknesses. Is that the way you, yes. yeah. So you, it's not necessarily a one size fits all solution well, to how you not. fix things, no. is there? Well, the other thing was, where has God used me to plant mainly small churches that rarely got between fifty, maybe seventy? Um, there came a time when I just felt, well, I was asked by the World Missions of the Wesleyan Methodists to to grow a larger church out of which men could be recruited for ministry, and ladies, of course, um, could be recruited for ministry and would have seen a healthy church growth model of what they would be working to reproduce. And so I took one church from the 90s through to 230s in a decade. Now, that's not phenomenal church growth, but part of what you just said, I was very much... Um, Meeting the people where they were, um, I did give attention to church structures for delegation because some churches are, one of the reasons churches struggle is when um, they're under the control of a particular person rather than um, a healthy board. And so helping to disciple board members was a major part of my ministry. And when you're discipling board members, you're actually working with leaders. Uh, when oh, you yeah, say when absolutely. you say board, you're also making a reference there to what so many will call an eldership, uh, oh, or yeah, there are sure. various other sort of organising committees within lots of different models of church life. So if you find yeah. yourself in one of those committees, whether it's a board or an eldership, it could be deacons. Yeah. Uh, whether you find yourself into some sort of a, a a gathering where you're a representative, some sort of church council, That's right. you're actually in a leadership role. Oh, absolutely. Um, I worked when I was with the Presbyterian Church. I consciously worked with the elders. Similarly, when I served the Baptist churches, I worked with the deacons, etc. So it was a case of uh, discipling. But one of the things I set out to do was to make the experience of being on the board a growing experience for their journey. The devotions were not just a nice little reference to a Bible verse. They would cover some aspect of leadership so that after three years on the board, I encouraged people to step back and use what they'd learned and leave room for some fresh blood on the board. 
So it was, I was giving careful attention to strategy, yes. What about other levels of leadership in the local church? And I mentioned in the introduction there, you've got, you know, children's ministry in a children's church or a Sunday school, you've got youth ministry, uh, families' ministries, uh, older people's ministries, you've got all sorts of different levels. And the people who are involved in those, they're in leadership too, aren't they? Of course. Oh, absolutely. And the better they are discipled, the more effectively they will minister to the people in their charge. So working on this discipleship model, uh, is there a model there or is it this something that you do every, as we say, every church is different? Is there some sort of a model that you like to work with that says, uh, first of all, uh, identify yourself as being a leader or an emerging leader or even an aspiring leader? Uh, Just the thought that you might have people who are in church life but not stepping up into those sorts of roles, not seeing themselves as being capable or being the sure. person who might be called in leadership. How do you how do you get through that, that, that somehow other people feel reluctant to be in leadership? <laughs> okay. I see the pulpit as a vision-casting context, not that every week I'm going to be saying we're going to change our world, though that's my sentiment, in that that's what the purpose of regular worship is, to honour God and to impact our nation. But as well as that, I work as hard as I can to grow the believers so that whatever ministry they're having. But after I'd planted about 20, 25 churches over, I guess, about um, 18 years, yeah, thereabouts I'll do, um, I started to notice some of the difficulties I'd seen in earlier years, and here was a newer church with some of the same difficulties, and I thought, am I really making disciples? And I thought, I can't measure that until I've defined it. So I actually worked out a definition of what is a disciple. And I used that when I was lecturing in Switzerland and America. And also in a number of churches have invited me to share in this country. So it was a different kind of definition that it's integrated. It wasn't like a shopping list where you think, oh, I need some groceries and I need something from the hardware store and I better get something for the car to be fixed. Um, the definition of what is a disciple is integrated. It builds from left to right and top to bottom. Now, you've got people who are uh, in leaders' roles, and you've got ordinary yes. people who don't see themselves in leaders' roles. Yes. Uh, I imagine they're actually in a leader's role, even if they don't realize it. Do you think that people who are in church life, if you're a part of a regular congregation, you are going along to your church, and some churches have membership, some churches don't, but if you're a regular member of church life, do you have to think about whether you'll step up in some sort of leadership role? Uh, excellent question. Let me build. Um, the definition that I referred, if you can imagine a grid of five boxes at the top and five boxes underneath, beginning with a disciple knows about God. If we're going to worship and honor him and serve him, we better know about him. Having done that, we need to know about um, having a relationship with God, which is moving beyond just the knowledge to praying and hearing God speak to me from Scripture. And then we have a relationship with his people. And then the fourth one, moving left to right, is knowing myself. And what you've just touched on in regards to leadership, part of what we need to do is to discover the gifts that God has given us and how he wants to utilize our experiences and our journey. So whatever is the, you're right, that's one of the categories that's very thin among Christians. And uh, But then in our Western world, frankly, it's an area of appalling weakness is um, knowing who I am. And we need to see that from a biblical perspective. 
So starting with knowing God, others might say, well, that sounds like it's uh, turned on its head what I always thought. I thought I should know myself first and then uh, <laughs> then sort of start to know God. But, but what you're saying is knowing God, having relationship with him, then relation with people, that's when you get to a point where you begin to know yourself. Uh, yeah. So that actually, that's the right pyramid. That's not, that's not upside down. I mentioned a book called You Can Make an Impact. Did you have a chance to have that with you, or have you not had a chance to uh, open that? I, I, have don't, no way of knowing. I don't have the book, so uh, I haven't okay. read it. But uh, No, the reason I mentioned it is page 187 actually has the diagram, and that might have been useful for you. We begin by knowing about God. That means that we know that we are not dealing with the gods of some other religions, or even Allah in the Muslim expression, in Islamic expression, we get to know what the Bible teaches us about God as our starting place, and part of that will include um, a working knowledge of other religious expressions. But after we've gotten to know God, we can move on to knowing, sorry, after we know about him, we can move to know him. And that means I will talk to him in prayer and I will tread a journey. One of the things that makes Christianity quite unique is the fact that the founder is still alive. That would not be said for Buddha or Muhammad or any of the uh, writers of the Vedas. Jesus came magnificently back to life at that first Easter. And so I can talk to him in prayer and I can become aware that he loves me and cares about my journey. And so it becomes not just me on my own, but working in relationship with him and then with his people. And that's where the local church comes in. Don, let's talk about what it is to learn to be a disciple and really, in some sense, learning what a disciple is supposed to look like. How do you get a bit of an image of that? I think the comment I made earlier about Jesus spending three years with just the 12 as his primary thrust, he did feed the multitudes and he did a lot of healings and even raised the dead. We know those accounts are reliably recorded in the Bible. But we have got a lot of funny ideas out there that are really quite unscriptural. And part of what we're doing in a local church is helping people correct some wrong ideas that they've picked up along the way. So it seems to me that that's the real thrust. Um, a sermon needs to have content and thrust. A home group needs to have a purpose to meet and uh, a covenant to protect sharing. Um, everyone needs someone that they can have as a mentor. So there's different levels of how we improve our usefulness for God. And I mentioned the books earlier simply because that's a way that we can read and think. When you say funny ideas about discipleship, huh? I mean, some of those ideas, they might be really weird ideas too. I mean, when you say funny, are you saying that people have got a weird idea about discipleship? Well, I'm glad you've said it that way because the media is supplying a lot of our ideas and I'm glad that I'm not dependent on what the media thinks to discover what God is like. Um, for that matter, I'm weary of the number of people who think that the Bible is a bunch of legends when we have absolutely reliable information that the manuscripts told a true story and that they've changed people's lives down through the years. So people need to know they can trust the Bible when they read it, and there is good evidence for that. 
So you've got ideas about discipleship and you might have in your mind an impression of those first century, the 12 disciples of Jesus, and you're saying, well, how does that translate into a 21st century setting? Is this mm-hmm. somewhere that, you know, sometimes you can, you know, the wheels can fall off as you think about what a disciple looks like and you think, I'm not like the 12 disciples that followed Jesus, therefore I'm not really a discipleship in their league. Is that one way you could think about it? Well, I'm sorry that I don't have the definition for you to look at and for your listeners, but frankly, the starting place for discipleship is knowing about God. And uh, we need to know that he is trustworthy and reliable, that he answers prayers in the best possible way. That's a foundational concept that a Sunday school teacher will pass on, sometimes indirectly, to those who are in their class. So our concept of God often is the place where we've got the weakness. And so if you've got the concept of God and then what disciples do to relate to him, if you get that right, then you'll know how to model that for others. That's a flying start, yes. And you see, we have taken for granted the concept of God from the Christian faith by contrast with some of the ideas that are out there. For example, Christianity is unique in that the founder is alive today. No other religion has that uh, starting place. So I can talk to him in prayer and I can enjoy that. It also, the Bible reveals the God, who, a God who has compassion and caring for people. And when suffering comes, and it does to all of us, he's a God who is able to bring good out of what he lets happen in the journey of his people. Those are concepts that change how we look at life. Don, let me ask you, and maybe we can turn our conversation into a heart-to-heart conversation here and sure. uh, and talk about you know 50 years of doing what you do and the launch of 30 churches yeah. uh, not not everything goes perfectly when you do that sure. and uh, and That's I know that you like to reflect on the fact that it's very easy and anyone who's in any leadership probably makes lots of mistakes you learn from those yes. but but how do you reflect That's on your idea. your own career in doing what you've been doing and mistakes made Because of my years of high school teaching and my love for teenagers, which is a high part of my journey, I became involved in youth camps and have had over 20,000 teenagers attend a youth camp where I was the camp leader or speaker. During that time, I've listened to the kids when they've wanted to share. I've packaged messages that will meet their needs. I think probably one of the best indicators is that they invited their friends to come to next year's camp. And so we worked in the life of the kids to see them clarify their concepts and uh, to learn to relate to God as a friend that they could ask to forgive their past and to change them on the inside and give them a new hope for tomorrow. And to me, that's the great blessing of the gospel and all that was achieved on the cross and in our Lord's resurrection. When we talk about a life, and uh, taking your own as an example here, it's one thing, isn't it, uh, to be at the basic bottom level of understanding what it is to know God and be a disciple, and then to disciple others. Um, But your own story is that you went beyond those early discipleship years and you went on to do some higher studies and you served God in a whole lot of different contexts. Um, Moving people into some higher levels of study and discipleship. What are your thoughts here? Well, I do uh, teach courses for Kingsley College, which is based in Melbourne. And that's been a good experience because while I much prefer a face-to-face class context, um, the Zoom, Skype, Teams uh, resource allows 
some sort of face-to-face with the students. So I've enjoyed that kind of training opportunity. And now I've lost the thread of the last thing you said. I'm sorry, it's without what I was thinking. Well, about it was really around. Right. It was really around uh, when you've gone through some basic level discipleship. Oh, yeah. Your own story is that yes. you didn't stay as a oh, no. ordinary uh, pew warming oh, no. disciple. You decided at no. some point that that you would need to step up and you would need to fill some roles. And when you got into that youth ministry and those sorts of things, you recognized that you had some gift there and that's where you put your hand up and said, hey, somebody, uh, I've got my hand up here. I I want to move into that. That, That's the sort of thing I'm talking about here, Uh, moving into something that is effective. I think I'd probably add this is important. Part of the search for me was how can I really be effective in my with my one and only life and uh, when i was at college they had a a sale of some of the old books that were pretty decrepit and bible college students will always go for a bargain and uh, there was one book that i got for i guess it would be equivalent of a dollar today it was 10 cents in 1970 it was called new testament holiness and when i read that book he talked about the difference between being faultless and being blameless And that was liberating for me because I knew I'll always be making mistakes. I'll never be faultless, but I can have a clean heart and a pure motive. And that blamelessness really changed the way I prayed and the way I saw myself. And so building into what's our walk with God is really a vital part of preparing someone to be an effective leader. Are we afraid of criticism, do you think, Don? (laughs) I never like it. But I try to forgive the people who have given me my lunch, often with helpings. <laughs> and I then try to say, Lord, what are you teaching me in this? Because I think I grow through the forgiving process and I learn from my critics. And so I think that's part of being secure enough to let God's hand on my life unfold his purposes. We hope we've got some sort of oversight that can pull us into line if we're really going off uh, the deep end, uh, you know, into some heretical territory or something like that. But you've got to be able to be courageous enough, and I imagine develop a thick skin enough to actually have a go and be able to stand, even though you might have someone criticise you saying you've done it wrong. Yes, that's true. Yeah. So being afraid of criticism, uh, interestingly, because you're the reflector on uh, John Wesley, and of course uh, he is almost, uh, you know, solely responsible for saving England through the Great Awakening and uh, the things that were going on in America as well. He was an organised person. He was able to. uh, He was able to organise people and delegate. Uh, these sorts yes. of things in church life. Somehow or other, do we learn some lessons from great leaders of the past about how they've done things and organized and brought people together and delegated and been great leaders? Oh, brilliant question. I guess the first comment I'd offer was when he asked the very first Methodist conference, what is our task? They said to reform the nation, particularly the church, and to spread scriptural holiness across the land. So part of the reason why they effectively saved England from a revolution worse than the French Revolution was because they were were teaching people to experience the holiness of heart. 
and that changed the way in which they behaved. And when the workers in Bristol wanted to revolt against the government, Wesley came to them and said, Scripture says we submit to the government, but we work to change bad laws. And so they protected England. So, But that emphasis on the holy life was a, a, a major part of why he achieved so much under God and why the Methodist movement went on to found the Salvation Army through William Booth. Holiness of heart, and some might even reflect that, uh, you know, back in the 1970s, uh, there was like a holiness movement. Uh, And I've heard some leaders reflect that even the holiness movement seemed to go too far because uh, there were pastors saying, no, you can't go and see that movie or you can't go and see that pop group or whatever it might be. Holiness of heart, though, isn't necessarily a legalism, but it's how do you describe it? This is part of that relationship to God. It's got to be personal, hasn't it? It's part of why I wrote my first of these four books called You Can Be a Radiant Character. And that very specifically addresses holiness of heart and how we can come to enjoy it. But basically, in this whole realm of holiness, I guess part of what I sought to do was to discover the areas that I needed to work at and grow in those. Um, My heart's uh, cry was to be a true friend to people that I met in the marketplace, um, to offer a perspective that is at every point, I am committed to a Bible that is infallible, inerrant and inspired. And so being guided when read scripture that God will show me what he wants to say to me at a particular time, that's going to be part of my growing. In having, oh, yep. Yeah, I was going to add something else. Um, I mentioned the French Revolution a couple of minutes ago. If you research that period in history, you'll know that one of the serious issues was pornography. Now, we don't need to say today that that's an issue because it's invading people's homes uninvited. But somebody on the phone just in the last 24 hours said to me, oh, but you need to grow up. You need to see how the other half lives. And I said, I guard my mind against something that violates the principles of Scripture, those things that are true and pure and lovely and of good report, of virtue and of praise. So I do choose not to do some things as a part of my commitment to becoming more like Jesus. So as holiness of heart grows into personal integrity, somehow or other, Ooh. that is then on public display, and yes. and you're not afraid to speak up and say, wait a minute, that's wrong, and that's not yes. what a Christian does. So is there enough of this happening, do you think, where we're seeing an outward expression of this holiness of heart? Excellent comment. Um, The Keswick movement moved in that area. The holiness movement actually had its roots back in the 19th century as well. So it's been there in various uh, stages of ups and downs, can I say it that way. Um, And the thrust has been on how can I grow in my journey of love for God and love for my neighbour. And it will mean there's some things I'll choose not to do. But I also look for an opportunity to share with somebody when I find them in need, sought to encourage, to pray, etc. So coming back to the local church that we've been yes. talking about Good. and uh, those yes. biblical foundations that need to be in place, uh, discipleship yes. foundations, and uh, really what we're yes. touching on here is one of those powerful discipleship foundations just recognising, first of all, the holiness of God and then being like yes. Him. You know, be holy Good. as I am holy. So there's a certain Amen. sense in which that has to be perhaps reinforced in church life. I'm very uncomfortable when people start criticising other denominations. 
um, or any denomination because it's made up of normal people with normal struggles. But hey, we're pressing toward the mark. When I look at history, the people who made the, uh, I mean, who was it who got rid of slavery? They were Christian men. The trade unions were established by Christian men who wanted to get a fair go for the worker. Those improvements in our whole culture, the whole idea of hospitals and education came from the church. And so we can thank God for the heritage that we have, but I want to be sure that we are growing people now in our local churches. If I might mention it, the book I've said about making an impact would be useful to anyone in leadership or to pastors in the things I learned that they generally don't teach in college. That was significant. You're taking us into a really amazing space when you talk about it was godly people who yes. led trade unions and uh, slave, yes. the end of slavery. Now that takes you, doesn't, that's another big step beyond the basic discipleship. But we might assume that uh, all of those leaders that took us through those wonderful processes all started yes. and struggled with holiness of heart and getting their own integrity and then being able to then move their own faith into bigger realms. Yes. Similarly, when I look at the World Missions Thrust, the impact on our globe that has come from the missionaries who were willing to sacrifice um, home and friends and all those things to go to a foreign land. I was in a Swahili service on Sunday, And as I sat and listened to those dear people share in a language that was entirely foreign to me, I thought it must have been heroic for those missionaries to go and build bridges of love and trust. Samuel Marsden went to New Zealand and stayed on the island amongst headhunting cannibals as a part of building the bridge of the gospel into New Zealand. And I salute that man. So that sort of integrity, that sort of courage that marks those leaders. Now, for the person who's sitting and listening to our conversation today, Don, and saying, uh, I can hear what you're saying, holiness of heart and integrity. I'm going to be turning up at church on Sunday. I'll be in my same seat, my same pew. Uh, All this depends on my pastor and whether my pastor makes room for me or whether he encourages me or she encourages me into some higher levels of holiness and integrity and getting things right. What are your thoughts for the person who's waiting for their pastor to do something? I guess my first comment is get yourself better equipped. Take time to get into some of the books that are, to which I've referred and other. There's a lot of good books. I looked at some of the books that are available on the web. Get into good books that will grow you. When I drove to Townsville, where I'm serving right now, I was listening to CDs as I travelled as a part of learning and growing from some of the world's best. So learning and growing and being prepared. I was fascinated with the revival in Parramatta in 1834, I believe it was, And these fellows agreed they would pray every week for revival, even though the pastor didn't recognize them. And there came a night when the pastor said, Brother Watsford, John Watsford, the son of a convict, First Methodist minister, please pray. And the Holy Spirit moved in on that meeting in an old schoolroom. And uh, there was a, a real blessing. But they had a rule. They were not going to criticize their pastor. That was important. But they were to grow and pray faithfully. I think there's some value there. No pastor is perfect. We know that. But hey, the fellows that I've known and the ladies I've known are doing their best for God. And I salute that. So from your books today, Don, uh, we were talking through some of the issues in Make and Impact 
Uh, you mentioned another yes. one of your books is A Radiant Character. Uh, what are the other yes. two that uh, you want to draw attention to? Thank you. The one on You Can Discover God's Will was written for teenagers, but I was stunned at how many adults with families making decisions whether to go to the mission field, what was God's will. You Can Discover God's Will has been a blessing to them. And the other one, the most recent, You Can Be a Disciple Maker. I put that out in 1989 and revised it. And uh, God has significantly blessed that ministry, as I said, in these overseas countries. And also, churches in Australia that have used that material have seen significant growth. All the ones that I know of have been blessed by those studies. And those books are available in the Vision store. So uh, for listeners, uh, vision.org.au, Make an Impact, A Radiant Character, You Can Discover God's Will, and You Can Be a Disciple Maker. Uh, Great contact with you today, Dr. Don Hardgrave. Uh, I want to thank you so much. What's the best website for listeners to connect with you on? Oh, spare me. (laughs) I haven't got a website. Um, I guess I'm using the Townsville Wesleyan Methodist Church where I'm serving just at the moment on an interim basis. But um, I'm perfectly happy to receive stuff if Townsville Web will do the job. Or um, I guess if they contact um, Vision, they'll probably be able to pass on a message. I'm happy to be useful where I can help. Sure, we'll be able to. Uh, Dr. Don Hardgrave, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts with us today on 2020. It has been a privilege. I've been praying and I trust God has blessed the listeners with the insights we've shared. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.